Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. testify for just a second. This is um, back in 2009, and I know that I was not the only one by any stretch of the imagination, but in 2009, the business that I happened to be in, which is building and construction, completely took a major hit. Things just turned very, very bad. And in a matter of, of a short amount of time, my household income was nearly cut in half. And There's no way that that cannot affect a marriage. There's no way that that cannot affect the dynamics of a household. But let me tell you all this. What we did do is we did remain faithful to the house of God. And, and what we did do is we learned that financial problems are just that. They're financial problems. Marriage problems, we as Christians have to learn not to let one affect the other. Because I promise you, if you can learn to laugh and get along and have a good time when you don't have anything, when you are blessed, it just makes it that much better. This morning we need to pray that our leaders will be given wisdom to guide our cities out of economic crisis. We need to pray that we have a robust and growing economy with sufficient jobs for the citizens because the econ they're, they're one, the economy, a strong economy typically means strong families. One coincides with the other. We need to pray that businesses would be ethical in their practices in areas of finance, human resources, and charitable giving. And last, we need to pray that Christian businesses would operate according to biblical principles without fear of penalization from our government, reprimand, and that they would be a positive influence in the areas in which they operate. This is so important in the day that we live in. We've seen headline after headline where businesses that are operating under a certain set of guidelines are they're trying to get shut down, that people are picketing, they're striking, they're trying to drive people away. We need to pray that those businesses have the tenacity to stick by what they believe. If we can go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, Lord, to ask you just to come down and give our leaders, Lord, our local leaders, our business leaders, the wisdom, Lord, to just continue to abide in biblical principles. Lord, we ask that you come down and give them the knowledge, Lord, to keep businesses flowing, Lord, to keep money coming into this, to our local economies, Lord, our state. 
God with the Lord. I just ask you to come down, Lord, and just give them the wisdom. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Hallelujah. I know we just got through praying, but as I said before, I don't have the nerve to try to do this without praying. So, And after you see what our lesson's on, you'll know why. So uh, I want you to pray with me. Ask God to touch us, open our minds, our hearts, because I don't want to only hear. I want to retain it, and I want God to help me to understand it. So if you would, let's pray. Father, we love and we thank you this day. We thank you for what you've given us, Lord Jesus, and that's your holy word, God. I know it's not just something we can read. It is something that will govern our life, will give us direction in the darkest days in which we face, Lord God. It will be the light that will guide us, Lord God. So touch us, strengthen us, everything that is done or said this day, God. You can anoint us, Lord God, with words of wisdom and understanding, Lord God. Strengthen us, Lord God, each and every one. Every Sunday school teacher, Lord God, every word of ministry that will go forth this day, have your anointing placed upon it. Touch the hearts of the individuals, Lord God. For we gather with a purpose, Lord God, and that's to share this good news according to your wills. We thank you and we praise you for what you're going to do this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The Bible says to give honor where honor is due. So I just like to thank myself. <laughs> okay, now that I've got your attention, <laughs> I do want to say Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day to my wife, my aunt, and my mother, and um, I mean that to all. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, another thing that I've said and will continue to say is that when all of this went wrong in the beginning, God looked at God looked at Adam and said, "It is to you to cleave to your wife, and no matter how much time goes." It is the responsibility of the man to cleave unto his wife, and that will not change. So happy Mother's Day. Thank you for all that you've done, all that you will continue to do, because I, for one, don't want to live alone. And if, if that's your choice, your option, whatever it may be, I am thankful for my wife. I need a wife. And God gave me a good one, and I'm thankful for it. And he made them male and female. No matter what New York says, we only have male and female. And I'm thankful that God put us together, and he gave us the relationship. And it is one that when done properly in accordance to Bible is truly, truly unique. And it's God-ordained, and I thank him for it. So truly, truly, truly. Happy Mother's Day, and I mean that. Now, to our lesson, we will be speaking on 
money. So the Bible says, and I'll just read the focus verse that they use in the Bible here. It's in Matthew 6, 24. Jesus is the one saying this. He said, no man can serve two masters. He used the word masters. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which we know is riches. Can't be done. So living today as we do, this is something um, that we must find a balance in because, you know, how can you live without money? You really can't. You won't live long because you need an income, so to speak, to survive. So, therefore, we must find the principles that God has laid out in his word to survive. Because we, you can't, um, in the name of this lesson, the series is living a blessed life. That is what we want. We want God to bless us, and we want everything that we do to be blessed. So, in, if I want God to bless me, I have to do what's, a, what's being taught and blessed in his word. Because if, let me just say this. We've been taught to pay tithes of 10%, okay? If someone has a conviction of paying tithes of 15%, it would be wrong for them to stand in this pulpit and say, pay tithes of 15%. Why? Because that's not the biblical principle. The principle is 10%. If it's their conviction to pay 15%, that's okay. But don't impose it on someone else. So if I want to be blessed, I have to go. Now, if you want to give more, there's nothing wrong with that at all. God will bless what you do. And here's the thing. He knows your heart. He knows your heart. And he knows if you have held back in other areas and you feel like you need to make it up. You know, God knows how to... You know, in things we can't say, God knows what we are trying to say even if we can't put it out here. That's the good thing. So, but what I mean is, for, if I want to be blessed, do things according to this scripture and God will bless it. So, the series is Living a Blessed Life and our title for today is called Misplaced Trust. And, you know, in... If everybody today, and boy, that's a broad statement, but most people probably, well, okay, I'll back up. I'll leave you out. I have trust issues because you can't, you, you, my parents took me to church. You just grow up thinking everybody's good. You take people at their word. You grow up, you go outside, and people will just lie directly to your face. You think that you can just link a deal with a handshake only to get, and I'll leave that right there. But then you take and you go on and you realize there's a whole nother world out there. But you can't go to the extreme. You can't let the pendulum swing to the other end and say, I'm not going to trust nobody. And that's where we have to guard ourselves. But it's called, the lesson today is misplaced trust. And what it's speaking of is we must find the balance in our finances not to let 
finances be our trust. Put your faith in your finances and not your God. Because it must never, ever, ever be said and be taught from the point that the Bible is speaking against a wealthy person. It's not. It is not. Please believe me when I say that. If I am just poor and destitute and I'm speaking from the point of revenge against a wealthy person, I am wrong. Because what this Bible is pointing out is God is saying, who are you putting your faith in? Your wealth or me? And all God is asking of his creation is to put your faith in me. And that's all he's saying. That's why he said you can't serve two masters. You're either going to trust me or your riches. And then he later tells us the rich over the poor, the rich is going to have a lot more snares that try to ensnare them. Because if you're poor and destitute, you're going to pray, you know, okay, God, I was so humble years and years ago when Brother Boyd, I think it was a missionary, that when they would sit down, a, a, a pastor, they would sit down with their family and just plates, empty plates around the table and take his children. They didn't have nothing to eat. And he would tell his wife, you set the table. And they would sit down and he would pray, God, I thank you for what we're about to partake of. When they had nothing to eat, nothing, nothing but a bare plate they was looking at. God, we are grateful for what you have provided for us. Versus the man that is so full of everything he can't decide what he wants. That is what God is saying. Compare this man that is thankful for nothing to this man that... You ever been hungry and somebody, what do you want? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just so full of everything. I don't know what I want. God, that's all God is saying. Don't get to the point that you're so consumed of everything that you have no need of me. That's all God is saying. Not that he's against a wealthy person or someone that we would say rich. He's not. He's not. Please, please, please believe me. God is not against the income that you have, whether you have $5 or $5 billion. That is not the issue. The issue is where is your faith? That is the total, total issue is where is your faith so that's what the story is today money and how we use it and it affects every part of our life um, brother toby just spoke of, of how it consumes us it affects areas in our life so many areas in our life and i promise you more people have stayed awake at night worrying about things over money than probably over any other thing in their life. And you just can't spend like there's no tomorrow because tomorrow will catch us. And when it does, it's usually not good. The story starts and it goes all the way back. And most of this reading is, is out of the New Living Translation. But it begins with Lot being taken captive. 
And what happens here is speaking, it just jumps in a story. And what has happened, Lot, remember Abraham and Lot are traveling and then they get so much and just, Abraham just tells Lot, okay, you go one way, I'll go the other. You go this way, I'll go that way. Abram literally had the choice, but he gave Lot the choice. So Lot went one way, Abram went the other. This is, they had already made their separation. Then Abram gets word that Lot, his family, all his household, his possessions was taken captive. So here's Abram. You're not taking a kin of mine and it not go unnoticed. So the Bible says, why this number? I don't know. But the Bible says he took 318 trained servants with him. And he says, you know what? We're going to get him. So it was a coalition of kings. So they met in the Valley of the Kings. So they went. They went to go get him. They did. They defeated him. They took him. They got Lot and his family. They took the king. It was a, just a magnificent sacrificial um, sight on the part of Abraham or Abram at this point. Now, he comes back and then the king of Salem had come out to congratulate him. And then he presented Abraham with bread and wine and declared, Blessed be Abram by the God of the Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. That was the king of Salem. Now, Abram turned to Melchizedek, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and priest of the Most High, and gave him a tenth of all his goods. He has recovered. And Lot knew he was witnessing something. Man of faith completely trusted in his almighty God. But then the king of Sodom comes up and tells, offering Abram all the spoils of the battle as a token of his gratitude. Now, I don't know if the king wasn't watching what was going on, but according to the rules of war at this time, whoever performed a battle and brought back the goods, they was his. But here's the king of Sodom goes out and tells Abraham. Now, Abraham had already paid tithes to the king of Salem, Melchizedek. And so he takes, and then Sodom, the king of Sodom comes out and says, I tell you what, Abram, if you'll just give me the persons, in other words, give me the people that was taken captive from me, I'll give you the goods and we'll call it even. Now, I don't know if he wasn't watching what had just happened. Abraham had just paid tithes, and he's thinking, I'll just give you. But they was not his to give. They was Abraham's. But he took, and this is where... That he, this is his response. I saw me swear to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I would not take so much as a single thread or a sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what the warriors have eaten, and I request that, I, I, that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies. They was confederates, Aner, Eschol, and Mamre. So... But what Abram told him, in, in, in the King James Version, it says this. I lifted up my hand, and basically, as we would say, I have made a vow unto the Lord. So he says, you think that I want people to say of me that you're the one that made me rich? You ain't gave me nothing. I earned this from the Lord. And to prove that, 
I gave the tithes to the man that deserved it, the king of Salem. Now, this is what we would call Jerusalem now. This was the same place as Jerusalem. Then, in this Bible time, it was just called Salem. But this is what we know as Jerusalem. So he's taking, he's doing this, and he tells them, I will not even take a thread or a shoe latch. This is the most just meaningless nothing, a thread or a shoe latch or a thong. And he says, I'm not going to take nothing because I, you have not given me anything. You think I'm going to just let anything come from you? I'm not doing it. It will not be. I will not be tied to you in any way. You gave me nothing. Therefore, it will not be said, it will not be written of me and you in any term. So he separates him. So what I believe God was doing was establishing the identity of Abram. So, and, and the reason I believe that, in this passage, in Genesis 14, there's, there's some first, and I wrote them down. It just says, Abraham, when the young men go tell him, Abraham is identified as a Hebrew. This is the first time in the Bible this word appears. It identifies him as a Hebrew. Now, there's a, a phrase in the Bible that says, speak the truth in love. We know that. Now, where he tells, and this is a verse that I relate to. It. You may not, and you don't have to, but speak the truth in love. Abram, here the, for the first time, it identifies him as a Hebrew. But this is what he told the king of Sodom when he tells him that I ain't taking nothing from you. Save only that, and I'm reading from the King James, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, in other words, the, the Confederates, Anar, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Now here's Abram, and to me I look at it, the wisdom of this man. They wasn't Hebrews. They was Amorites. God did, or not God, but Abram didn't try to establish his principles on them. He was a Hebrew. They was Amorites. And, and here's Abram saying, you know what? They don't have the convictions I have. Let them take their portion. They're entitled to it. I'm not taking it. God's going to provide for me. They're looking for their portion. Let them have their portion. So he did. Now, this king of Salem, we knew in this, I've heard a lot about this man, the king of Salem, but he is very, very, and I hate to use the word mysterious, but really this is the only time that he's used. There's one other reference, and he's used in Psalms. I think it's 110. But this is, there's only two places in the whole Bible where his name is referenced. Now, we know that to be a priest, you had to come from the tribe of Levi after Aaron. So, and to be a king, you had to come from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of David. But this is what, this is, what is unique. So it tells us that Abram prayed tithes unto him, and then it says in Psalms that he says that thou art going to be a priest after the order, speaking of the Messiah, after the order of Melchizedek. Not after the order of Aaron. Now here God establishes 
Abram, you've went back, you've recovered Lot, his possessions, his household. You've come back, you've paid tithes unto this priest. And what I'm doing, I think God was doing, is establishing him, his identity, and establishing the principle of giving God what was due him. So he's taken, not what you would think, establishing the order after the priesthood that was going to come later. Because the Bible doesn't say he was established after the priesthood of Aaron, which you would think, but it says he was established after the order of Melchizedek. That's the only two times this man is in the Bible. After that, there's no more reference to him. It's over. So, but the thing that's unique also about this man is he was a king and a priest. As I've said before, that would get you killed in the Bible. You read, you study it. You, you, if you was a king, you couldn't be a priest. If you was a priest, you couldn't be a king. He was both king and priest. He was. Now, this is one thing he did. He was, now, expressed Abram. He did this. He expressed his faith. He gave tithes unto him. He did this. He gave him to this. God chose to bless him. Abraham is the example for us to follow, is giving our tithes unto the Lord. Now, he became one of the most famous figures in the world, not because so much that, but the Bible don't really point out a whole lot. He's referenced to the paying of tithes of this, but the Bible, what the Bible points to even more is the faith of Abraham. It's literally, it's not like it's just, like I said, there's only two verses, two verses. And the rest is called Abraham faithful. He is faithful. Now, the Bible tells us, the one that we read, you cannot serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other and hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And it's like the old, the old, catchphrase, but we think we're the exception. You know, I can come into a bunch of money and not change. <laughs> okay, maybe. We've all witnessed and probably in all seen what happens when we become the servants of money. You know, and uh, as we get older and progress through time, one thing that we learn is never allow yourself to say, I won't do that. It's always by the Lord's help. <laughs> by the Lord's help, I won't do that. Now, here's a few things that it highlights in the lesson. Speaking of money, literal money. It's common. It has a bad odor. Usually it's dirty, unsightly. People's there's literally been cases of people eating it, burning it, buying it, throwing it away, or not buying it, but burying it, throwing it away, searching for it, falling in love with it, hating it, trading it for their best friends, living for it, dying for it, working for it, laying and lying for it. Makes us smile, laugh, celebrate, cry, fight, hate, steal, and kill. It, is a, it has been cited as the number one key to happiness and the number one cause for divorce. 
It is highly valued, but really in itself, it has no value at all. It is just paper. Jesus, uh, our Lord Jesus spoke about it more than any other subject because it accurately, it accurately reflects the hearts of men. Now, in the Bible, there's 2,350 verses in the whole Bible that speaks of money or finances. In the Gospels, there's 288 verses that deal with money or finances. So there is a lot that deals. Money can be a wonderful resource for good, but it can be something of great sorrow also. Now, money is neutral. It's just an inanimate object, and it's just neutral. When properly managed, it is a powerful tool, but... If you don't watch it, it can become a horrible taskmaster, and we know it. There's one testimony given here of a family that was in a church, and they took, and the father had this well-paying job. He works and allowed his income to be used to help other people, and one of his son got the Holy Ghost. They took a crowd of teenagers. They said there was 30 of them took them all out to eat, paid for everything. And then the family, he was relocated to another town. They said the last they had heard of him, they was all doing good. That's just a good example, a good example of someone that's just allowing their income to be used in the house of God, using it right. Then they take, also there's another example that's used of a young man who just, because of a government settlement on his 18th birthday was to receive a lot of money. So, you know, you're talking about an accident waiting to happen. An 18-year-old with a lot of money, you know. You know, I'm an adult. I don't need no guidance, you know. So, but the sad thing for his friend in church literally tried to guide him and tell him, you know, you need to seek counseling for this and you know how to well spend your money. But it said it wasn't long his friends started skipping church and and then, you know, the man literally for where your treasure is, there's where your heart's gonna be. And so he let the income pull him out of church. And so but you know, preachers has taught us so for so many years, you know, the old saying is, you know, I really didn't know that was in them. Well, it's in all of us. Trials only reveals what's there. And, and you know, it, literally we have to guard ourselves because you have to watch what you pray for. You know, bless me, bless me, bless me until God blesses us and we realize I can't handle this. You know, um, Really and truly, if we look ourselves in the mirror and be honest with ourselves, you know, I should only pray for what I can handle. You know, God don't put nothing on me that's going to make me stray from you. You know, you know, whatever that may be, you know, I want to stay where I can be sensitive to you and know you because in the world we live in, it's just, we are bombarded every day. It's just the more you have, the better off you are. And it's just we have seen so much 
happen is just people that just live on the edge and just go through life and just, just you would think all of a sudden it's okay and then finally it all collapses. And then you, you know, man, you know, disaster hits. And there you come to a point where, you know, when was the day that this all could have stopped or been diverted? You know, and the thing of it is, it's just the verse that I truly love is where God literally tells us, and I really and truly I believe this with all of my heart, if we would just really believe this verse, said if you could gain it all, it still wouldn't equal the value of your soul. And as Americans, that's hard for us to swallow because all we are taught, all we are bombarded with is if you don't have this, then you are less of a person. It's everywhere we go. It's in everything we see or read. There's a hidden agenda to it. You're not fulfilled because you don't have this. And if you have, and if, if we could convince ourselves, if this guy has a nickel or five billion, he's not taking it with him. And God would try, was trying to tell us, this man's soul is equivalent to this man. If you sell, if you sell your soul for something temporal, you have lost the most precious gift that you will ever own. And you will never get it back. So God, that's why God is saying in scripture, don't let your eyes deceive you. It is not in worldly possessions. That's why we're taught and, 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 and the world teaches the more you have, the better off you are. And here's where we got to balance this. We're not speaking about anything you have. No. Where do you place the value in what you do have? Who gave it to you? Well, I worked hard for this, and God, and, and, and I, I earned this. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's see how long God lets you keep it. God is just saying, acknowledge me. Acknowledge me in all of this. And if you'll acknowledge me, you know what? He'll probably give us more, you know. He's not, he's not trying to keep a thumb on us and, and trying to hold us down and not let us uh, be happy here. I believe that's the furthest thing from the truth. He's just wanting us to acknowledge him. Now, we do know that really the mismanagement of money really creates more problems than it solves. And we know that. We know that that the rich and famous people are more trouble than just average individuals. You know, we've, we've always, um, I knew a man, I'll put it this way. I knew a guy that this was his, this was his, <laughs> this was his joke um, about um, rich people or people trying to get famous. They always wanted to be out in front of the camera, take, take pictures of me. And then when they got a little money, I want my privacy, leave me alone. You know, but when you're wealthy and have a lot, you know, all of a sudden you realize it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I have to fear for my life. You know, 
in, in one of the times I was um, forced <laughs> to go south uh, and, and work, we was, uh, I was in a, the home of a, a, a truly wealthy individual. We was doing work. And I have never seen a bedroom door like this one. I'm talking solid steel. And I have never seen deadbolts on the hinge side of the door. All the way down and all the way down on the handle side. And I said, what would it be like to live like that? Fear that someone... You're, you got a target on your back day and night. <laughs> and... Nothing against him, but they're paying a price. There's a parable told in Luke. It says, teacher, please, this is a, a New Living Translation. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And boy, that goes against a grain <laughs> that goes against a grain with us. Because that's not in the society we live on. But his real his real Jesus' real opinion, the enemies were greed and the misconception of that our worth is determined by how much we owe. How much we own rather. And Jesus is saying if that is what you use to evaluate some individual, you have truly, truly went down the wrong road. And that's why he said that if someone comes into your sanctuary dressed in not so good clothes, dressed in a $5,000 suit, and you seat this one on the front and the man that's not dressed good in the back, you need to check yourself. Because you have already committed sin. You have shown partiality like it's never been done before. That's wrong because that's what you've done. You have looked at them and you have just measured them what you think their worth is. That's all Jesus was saying. There's another parable. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room enough for all my crops. Then he says, I know I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I will have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now what's wrong with this picture? Because we would say everyone needs to plan. There's nothing wrong with planning. But the problem, what's wrong with this story is that he left God out of the picture. He planned, I need this. I done that. I, I did this. It's all about me. God wasn't even mentioned in this parable. It is not, God, you've blessed me with all of this. I'm going to build bigger ones. And in doing so, I can help the kingdom of God further itself. Nothing was mentioned. I'm going to build bigger because I can have it. And then God called him a fool. And we are cautioned about calling people a fool. God called him a fool. said, this night, 
your soul will be required of you. Here you are, in this parable, he said, here you are thinking, you're going to kick your feet up and relax? You're not going to be able to relax in the place where you're going because you think you have it made, you've determined this in your eyes, and you've left God out of the picture. That's what was wrong. The key to this becomes of holding our resources properly, and I believe that. Then this story with Melchizedek, he used it to teach tithing, but we know that Abram relied on God. Literally, I mean, of anybody that can relate to this story, and I'm not trying to single myself out, I mean, I believe you know me by now, I hate to go anywhere. But when God told Abraham, you leave your household, your kindred, and your kind. I've, I've made a joke out of this, but I'm very serious. God told Abraham, go out, take the GPS off the camel, because you're not knowing where you're going. I can't imagine that. Now, it ain't him strapped to a camel walking. He's got his household, his family, his possessions. This was an ordeal. It is not like just he took his one suitcase and God said, go, and by the way, I'll let you know. He's got this people asking him, you know, um, you know, I hate to say, I hate to say anything, but where are we going? Well, I don't really know, but God said go. Really? Somebody spoke to you and said leave, and you don't even know where we're going. But he left, not knowing where he was going. That's. That's faith like I can't even imagine. I'm telling you the truth. I can't imagine that. That's why he is called the father of the faithful. He took and believed God when, when he didn't have nothing to go by. He didn't have, you know what? Look right here in the Bible. It says this, this, and this. He didn't have this. He just had what God had told him and he believed it enough to leave and he did now Jesus says this that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food to eat clothes to wear for life is more than food and your body is more than clothing look at the ravens they don't plant or harvest or store food in their barns God feeds them and you are more valuable to him than any bird can all the worries add a single moment to your life and if worry can accomplish a little and if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that what's the use of worrying over bigger things look at the lilies how they grow they don't work or make their clothing yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are and if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that they are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow he will certainly care for you why do you have so little faith that's what God asked him trust and obey handle God to handle us God will help us to treasure him rather and then to place our money our power and everything in his hand 
And I want to I want to end with this story. This I'll just jump to and this I want to read out of the King James. This is the, the one of the rich young ruler. And behold, one came and said unto him, Master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And when he said unto him, Why callest me good? There is none good but one that is God but if thou wilt enter into life keep the commandments and he said unto him which Jesus said thou shalt do no murder thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not steal thou shalt not bear fault witness honor thy father and thy mother thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself and the young man said unto him all these have I kept from my youth up what lack I yet Be very careful. <laughs> okay. Don't get to that point with the Lord. You know, he's like, double pat, I've done all this. What else do I need to do? Okay. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all thy hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But when the young man heard, that, heard this saying, he went on sor sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, I believe this saying dealt with this young man. There are sayings in the Bible. I don't believe this is a blanket statement through to Christians. I believe this is dealing directly with this young man. So God is telling him, God, there again, I believe God knows the heart. So he's telling this young man that he's telling Jesus, look, I've done all of this. What else do I need to do? God tells him, you need to sell what you have. And I believe literally, this is me, I believe if he literally had went and sold everything he owned, I believe it would have been no time that he had had them possessions back. I believe that with everything that's in me. But God tried him. And then the Bible says, but he went away sorrowful. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you, it is um, that a rich man, verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, it is, shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, there's so many examples been given to this. My version of this is just, I believe what the Lord was literally saying. This was a proverb of something that was difficult, impossible to do, they would say the camel to go through the eye of a needle. It just wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. So here's Jesus uses this proverb in this case. Then the disciples heard it. They was exceedingly amazed, and they just said, who then can be saved? Now here's this guy says he's kept everything but one, and you telling him, the camel go through the alley, which we know is not happening. 
who can make it? But if always, always, if you will stay long enough at Scripture, God will never, ever cut you off at the knees. I promise you. And Jesus beheld them and said unto him, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I believe it with everything that's in me. If the man would have said, you know what? God, I acknowledge it. I have put my faith in the riches that I have. But as of today, they're no longer mine. The camel would have went through the eye of the needle. But with man, it is impossible to do that. And God said, if you would just trust me, that which in your eyes is impossible... I will make possible. And that can only come through God. God bless you, Miss Tina. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.